0: Welcome to the Dan and Kimberly podcast. (gasps) Now I'm recording.
1: You got the buttons, man.
0: Kimberly, I always raise my voice if you start recording. I shouldn't need to tell you we're recording because I always sound totally different than the preamble.
1: You do. You start talking faster, too. This should
0: be enough. (laughs) It's the adrenaline of being recorded forever.
1: It's like the drop on a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> and then the light comes on and Dan starts screaming.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Maybe this is the sound of panic.
1: Maybe. Or excitement.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, I, I actually, I think it, okay, first of all, hi, I'm Dan Fay, and you're drinking coffee, so we're doomed. <laughs> I'm Go doomed
2: on. Go on. Ta-da.
0: Perfect. Uh, I think it may, mostly comes from when I used to volunteer doing seminar work. And we'd always have, like, dance parties and other stuff, like, beforehand. Like, before the students came in. Did so our energy- like
1: have a chant like Walmart does? Uh,
0: do we have a chant? We did very few go teams. <laughs> uh Mostly we did things that made us, like, wildly uncomfortable. Like, dancing like idiots. Yeah. Sounds
2: good.
0: Um, cool. Which is good, because then you're, like, you're more vulnerable when they get there. So they're, mm-hmm. like didn't get very much sleep and they're like still defensive about like fuck I don't want to learn about myself what's this introspective bullshit but then we're like kind of in our game because we, we've been there for like an hour
2: mm-hmm.
0: getting prepped but then like also hanging out and just making a fool out of ourselves to the point where we're both like all wildly embarrassed so I think that amplifies into these recordings where I'm just like that's it I have to make a complete fool of myself so that like <laughs> i get the energy out uh-huh. um and then i could just like be myself and there's like a little bit more of an authentic edge do you uh, want to
1: encapsulate what seminar work is some people might not know what that is
3: so uh it.
0: man
1: is it like summer camp for adults
0: ah uh, god if if i described it like that then people went to a seminar that they got sounds awkward. exciting to me when
1: i say it that way
0: <laughs> true but it might be misleading um so ah uh, geez uh, okay let, let me back up then i believe there's two types of personal growth which it's is I- incredibly uh like reductive but for the sake of this discussion let's say there are there's two. only two there's there's okay. the lifelong stuff that you integrate mm-hmm. into your life as habits that you just like keep refining and refining and refining and then there's the like super intense um m- moments of work. Um, and they can be any type of project. Uh, so it's like finally going overseas and helping like build an orphanage or dig a well or um taking a weekend entirely to yourself to take a class and like turn everything else off and unplug and like submerge yourself in whatever you're trying to work through. Uh, So to me, seminar work fits in that latter point where you like step out of your day-to-day life. This is going to be a segue. Nice. Uh, Step out of your day-to-day life and instead uh, you just focus 100% on you and the goals, objectives, and values you're trying to like hone out in a very focused amount of time, which can be um, misleading because you're like, I've changed. The world is different now in my eyes. Right, right. And, then, and then you have this energy spike way higher than any energy spike. I can, you know, Just yell saying. at you, dear listener on the radio. <laughs> uh, and you're like, hell yeah, I'm insulated from all negativity forever, or what have you. This is my seminar experience.
2: Mm, okay.
0: um, and then uh, like a week later, you're like back in society do, doing your thing. And you've taken some lessons, right? You've got some gifts, and you've learned some things, uh, but it's not a sustainable state of being, I don't think. Oh, interesting. Uh, so
1: that sounds really parallel to what people who use psychedelics for personal growth tell me. That they go and they get like all of these gifts, and the point is just to bring something back. Yeah. It's hard to marry the two. I and it, get that. Years to to manifest something that you learn in that experience, and everybody wants it now. Yeah, everything's changed. I had this experience. Yeah.
0: That is exactly my experience of seminar work, which is why when I first started personal growth, I was a huge, huge advocate of it because mm-hmm. it, it allowed some of my early transformation, uh, very, very quickly. Like the, the, there were some tr- transitions in my life that were literally just like, Oh, emotions. Those are a thing, which sounds stupid now that I have it in recording, <laughs> but it was forever, a, but changed me forever like right. literally forever like the the intensity and the 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 love and the passion and the laughing and the everything
2: mm-hmm. that
0: I represent now uh was like a little bit more under the surface in the past and then after I did even the beginning part of my seminar work I'm just like oh shit no this is more interesting and more fun and more me so th- w- this is just me now there was other stuff that took years and years to manifest where looking back I'm like oh shit that's where that lesson came from like yeah. 5 years later I'm just like oh Okay, I hated that.
1: (laughs) Does the seminar work for you also connect to the idea that you hate the term personal growth? Because that implies growing in isolation. Whereas the seminar group actually put you in a group? Uh, With people and sharpen each other and be challenged and...
0: It did draw out that community aspect. It depends, because you can go see... And everything is always, like, co-creative in some way. So um, I've done seminar work where it was, like, very, very personal and intense. And you would split off into, like, usually dyads, like, of two people um, and dive deeper into a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to contrast that, you could do something like go to see Tony Robbins or something. Right. And there's less in-the-moment application Um, But you're still like co-creating the experience with the crowd. Uh, And I think that still has value. I just really, really, really love experiential learning, uh, which is applying a concept directly as you get it. Because I am like a massive procrastinator. So locking me in a place, locking figuratively. um, Basically the key. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, I lock myself in a place and it's like Mm -hmm. there's a concept, boom. And especially when it's one-on-one because I love one-on-one communication. Right, right. It's like the perfect environment for me to be like, okay, so uh we just learned about, you know, asking why until you get to the root of the thing, like the five whys. Uh being like, Oh, you know, why don't I want to get out of the bed in the morning and go to work? Well, it's because I hate work. Well, why do I hate work? Well, it's because I have to do things that are like, Well, why aren't you doing things like why don't you like them? It's like, Well, I don't know, because everyone's a jerk. Why do you think people are a jerk? And you just keep going until it gets usually down to something personal it's like all external. And -hmm. then it's like, well, because I don't think, you know, if I wasn't putting on this face in my everyday life that I would be loved. It's Mm -hmm. like, well, why don't you feel that you're loved? And then eventually you get down to something more important.
1: Makes perfect sense. I do that with my clients. Tell me the story. Tell me what's wrong, and I just keep asking why, and eventually, all of the superficial, the circumstances that they think are causing it, it all starts to deteriorate, even right. in their own minds. And all that's left is them and their own fears and their anticipations and expectations and all of that stuff. And that's where I end up coaching. So exactly. it sounds really similar.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and doing it in a dyad. Well, it, it's the same as coaching, except yeah. you're, you're both students. So you would just take turns being the coach. So when I was trained to do it, because you're trained on the fly as a student,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and all you have to do on the role where you're coaching, in the case of, like, the early work I was doing, was you just have to sit there and go, why? And they tell you a sentence, so you go, why? And it's actually, and that, once again, on radio, that sounds stupid. But when you're in that moment, it's like, gets rough.
2: Yeah, it does. pretty
0: quick mm-hmm. because the other person has stakes in that they care about you enough to keep pressing you uh but they're also neutral enough that they're not going to flinch
2: mm.
0: because all they have to do is say one thing that, yeah. that's a beautiful thing I learned about like doing diet work specifically in seminar is like if you give the student something simple enough they can be an amazing reflection for the other person yeah Thank and you. just asking why is like Insanely powerful, because eventually, through doing literally nothing extra, mm-hmm. the other person will get back far enough that they have the moment they need, mm-hmm. and you didn't have to do some masterful set of skills <laughs> yes. you know to get them there, right? Yeah. You just had to hold ground for them yeah uh, which is essentially training them to do it to, for themselves, which is harder do
2: because uh, do you do for yourself now.
0: Yeah, specifically when I'm in, like, a little bit more down.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I try to figure out, like, which part of my self-image I'm disregarding. (laughs) Um, And so, which is interesting because that was, like, an epiphany that happened early on when I was doing work. uh, Because I got down to things along the lines of, like, me being worthless and having no place. And it would actually, like, happen rather quickly. And so I saw that as a pattern, and that's good because I was able to figure out what I was ignoring. Uh, we've had that conversation, like, lots in the past. Yeah. Uh, about, uh, like, I'm one of the people in the world that struggles to let in or realize that I'm loved. Um.
2: Essentially, why? And still, why? T- just why? why?
0: <laughs> because if I was loved, then I'd have responsibility. See? Back to the segment that i not take. Uh.
1: I actually used to play a game with my kids when they were in that why stage. Can I outlast them by giving them real answers that connect? Why, mom? <laughs> why? Why? And I would just keep going bigger, either bigger, 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 like to the <laughs> universe, or smaller, 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 smaller into the macro. So, yeah.
0: That's really a wonderful thing to me about kids, actually. Mm-hmm. uh they are the or most of my nieces and nephews uh grab topics really well like better than i would originally have given them credit for mm,
1: um it's amazing.
0: So, yeah so if they're like why and then you answer them they'll like connect seven dots and then they'll like present a thing and then i'll be like why and then they'll like do this crazy thing and get to a space where i'm like that was really intuitive like that was like that took me like fifteen years of my life to figure out, and you just like extrapolated it based on this. you were
1: seven. Line.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so there's a lot of that. Uh, yeah. So seminar work to me is like very, very focused work on yourself, and as you said, uh, how you interrelate with others as well,
2: because
0: mm-hmm. it doesn't usually happen in a vacuum. It happens with a class, and it's not usually you don't you don't. We used to say that uh, especially when you have smaller classes of like 10 people uh, it's much harder class because they have nowhere to hide.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's no corners to blend in.
0: So when you're, when you're trying to train a room of 30, there's always like the, the people that can still have their arms crossed and not be bought in uh, that can just pair up. And if you're not like really on it as a volunteer or as the facilitator, uh, then they get whatever experience they're going to get out of it. Like I still don't have energy on it because they're doing whatever they're going to do. Yeah. And there's a lesson in there too, for them, but classes of 10 are tricky as all hell for everyone involved because like the people that don't want to go deeper or don't have a lot of experience of like dealing with it, they'll be like in it. They just like, they gotta be like, like there's not enough room for them to blend or hide.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh
0: And so you have to kind of step up to your A-game, too, because there's, like, there ends up being a little bit more responsibility uh, in, like, creating and holding the space for them, even though they may be, like, flailing a little bit. So I like classes of 10, even though they're not uh, the places I volunteered for, quote-unquote, profitable.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: And so uh, you still need to pay people and keep the lights on or whatever. but, But groups of 10, like, I saw some radical change that you couldn't get out of a room of 30. So...
1: Didn't get
0: or didn't typically get? Uh, ooh, okay. There, I, I've heard there have been amazing classes. The ones I volunteered with uh, don't typically get. You definitely can have a group that are all there and bought in, or there's like a few stragglers, but there's enough that when everyone pairs, everyone's mm-hmm. elevated. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get a different mix, though, it gets... Uh, it's hard to say. I'm 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 a little bit wiser and a little bit further on in my journey now. I it'd be interesting to see if volunteering in a seminar environment, I could raise the stakes even for larger rooms. I was very early on when when I started like delving into giving back in that way. Uh so there was a little bit of immaturity and lack of uh lack of probably personal responsibility and discipline in there uh for the room. So uh yeah, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I know that's part of my future journey because there's something, uh, really, really powerful and fun about helping seminars run. Um, and yeah, volunteering in them is really fun. Cause like, there's no, cause I get to dodge all the business bullshit. Cause I'm, cause I'm not getting paid. Like it's totally out of my, I'm not getting anything. I'm just getting I'm technically in the class for free Uh as an observer. Uh, but there's no tethered weirdness. Right. I, I'm not anti-business, dear listener. I just like being a craftsman more than I like being a worker.
1: You like being a wild card. A free agent.
0: Yeah, I like being a free agent. <laughs> so, so there's probably more of that in my, in my life. Um, with all that said, I hope, I hope that was relatively clear. That, yeah, it was
1: interesting. And it connects to our topic today. So.
0: It does. Because, Kimberly... I want yes, Dan. to talk about status. Status. Uh, as I said uh, last episode. And then I was thinking more about it today and I'm like, yeah, that thing. Because I hate, beast. I hate, because uh, this is nice because this gets to be an episode where I get to get up on a little bit of a soapbox, which is probably healing for me uh, and selfish. It's a good look for you. Go with Yeah, that. Totally, totally. Well, it makes me taller. It, <laughs> it makes, makes me an average taller. height. So, <laughs> um, because I think controversial opinion, I think status gets a bad rap, uh, particularly because one of my biggest pet peeves, which maybe one day I'll mature away from,
2: uh, mm-hmm.
0: is when people co-opt an incredibly broad term that represents an entire ginormous category of human experience and then and then society turns it into some type of weaponized uh like insult Mm -hmm. uh and, and suddenly and the reason why I don't like that is because I personally have to do so much more legwork then to get back into a conversation where we can talk about status and then talk about the parts we don't like about it Uh, because they're not talking about the big category. Mm -hmm. They're they're talking about how, uh, so when I said status, see, we can do exercises in the middle too. Uh, (laughs) Everyone probably thought about a thing. I thought about a thing. My classic thing is always uh, the keeping up with the Joneses Mm. concept of you're living in your house with your family being rad is all hell. And you look over in their driveway and they have a new truck or sports car or whatever. And you're like, damn, I'm doing amazing in my life. Why don't I have a sports car? You know, John Doe is not better than me. I'm an amazing father and man and provider. So I'm going to get a sports car and show him.
1: Where's my A plus in life.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And like, so that's acting statusy. Which I'm, I'm fine with society turning, verbing stuff and doing the thing. Ex- except. <laughs> except what? That we're all playing in a large status game all the time. And it's so much more important now because, because my generation is having this wildly interesting conversation about roles. And how the hell do you talk about roles when the fucking word status just means that like your neighbor, wants your car? <laughs> like, like you're taking away the tools to have a really interesting and nuanced discussion about something really important mm-hmm. because you're weaponizing the words you use in the conversation. And then it's like, Oh no, don't do it. Like, Can you how, give
1: me an example of how millennials are
0: doing that? Uh, sure. Cause uh, that's not my
1: generation. Just want to point that out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Burn. Just kidding. <laughs> to be f- well, I mean, but most of the reasons why we get a log is because there is a lot of like current role transition that we both like opt into and agree mm-hmm. about. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Uh, so uh so while millennials are probably stirring up the most shit socially, it's it's everyone that's like buying in or buying out of that's making it really interesting because at least <laughs> we're having a discussion and like uh, like, chewing on it. I, okay. I I am pro both sides arguing. I'm I'm less pro silence.
1: Oh, me too. Like, I absolutely think just pulling the box out and opening it up and going, oh, that's crazy in there is going to help everybody in the long run versus right. ignoring it and just putting it in the status box and throwing it away. I agree totally. Like, it's happening all, all the time. We can't escape it. It's part of the human experience. It's part of who we are let's
0: let's talk about it exactly it's and it's and things just change and evolve like I bought that uh sociology textbook published in what 1953 (laughs) um did I show it to you yet no we'll we'll do a different episode on it later uh because it's amazing I need to read the whole thing first but it's uh it was uh sociology okay it's called into your teens uh and it was a grade eight sociology textbook that taught them how to become a teenager um, and there were some parts of it that were actually, like, surprisingly progressive. And then there was the rest of it that was just, like, startlingly charming. It,
1: <laughs> charming? was that it, a nice
0: it, way it, to put it? In, in, in the way that it uh, gently reinforced gender roles. It was actually less intense and weird. I think it was because it was written by a woman. And she had a pretty good handle on how subversive she could be. Mm-hmm. There were some chapters that were really good because there's some chapters around like be yourself and talking about like tomboys and talking about like uh, men that like to, you know, don't like playing sports, but like to be artists.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so and she was being very positive in there. And then she kind of lost the path a little bit at the end and then like doubled back on like you still have these roles that you need to like do this thing. And also you can do this and that doesn't make you bad.
1: I wonder if she knew that they were only going to read the first chapter and the last chapter when they yeah. bought the book for the school. And so she could just put all this stuff in the middle that was subversive.
0: Right. So it was de- it was decent. But then you get stuff like, uh, here's the way you should wear your hair, ladies. You know, if you're thin mm-hmm. and plump, you should wear your hair like this. And if you're like this, then you should wear a cutting dress like this and like proper clothes and good manners and mm-hmm. all this stuff. It's wonderful. And the illustrations are like classic, ni- classic 1950s. uh uh-huh like old school, like, um, Tintin cartoon style. Right. It's freaking awesome. That said, uh, so I would argue like one of the big things that millennials specifically are stewing over is gender roles specifically, mm-hmm. uh, which falls directly into status. Uh, cause, okay. So. How, up,
1: Dan? Tell us how.
0: <laughs> backing up. Um, there are two types of status.
1: Okay. There's, There's always two with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but in sociology, this is actually real. Oh,
1: okay. I'll let it slide this time. <laughs>
0: um so there's there's ascribed status
1: mm-hmm.
0: and achieved status. Okay. So there's the status that you are born into your society with. Um, and then there is status that you acquire over your life through skill and discipline and like the manifestation of who you are, basically. Got it. Um so for example, uh, if you were traditionally, if you were born a man, then you would have certain, uh, like a certain status symbol and representation in society that would give you certain roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, if you had children, then because you were a man status, you would you would gain the role father, mm-hmm. which would have a bunch of characteristics, which basically allows society to function uh, sanely, sanely and efficiently in that everyone knows loosely what to expect of you.
1: Right. You're um, predictable. You fit into the mold.
0: Yes. Predictable. That's the word I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the interesting thing is there's like four people listening to this podcast that just spit, spit out their coffee. It's like, that's <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> to which I say, we do lots of stuff that is totally expected of us. Yes, we do. Like every month I pay rent in this building, like for where I live, because I am a responsible citizen in Edmonton. And, and there's certain status as an adult in Edmonton that comes around me being predictable with paying rent. You
1: could live at the park. You could. Mm-hmm.
0: And that would also... That
1: would alter your status radically.
0: It would. And it would make you less predictable. And you would, quote, unquote, fit in less or be, like, less reputable. Um,
3: That's why people aren't, like, that is why you look up
0: to people that help the disenfranchised. Because they're doing something that fringes on, like, a little bit of chaos or a little bit of unpredictability, even though it's not really. Everyone's human.
1: Okay, so, like, the guy that goes around cutting all the homeless people's hair, he's gifting them with a little bit of status because they blend in and he's also being unpredictable
0: well he's he's going out of what would be his normal social expectations Mm -hmm. because ultimately from his perspective or from society's perspective all he needs to do is like pay rent and pay his taxes and like Mm -hmm. work to move the industrial machine further and everything else is benevolent
1: right be a good um, consumer. That's the only reason you were
0: born. Well, and, and you're expected to be a good person, but the line... But that gets fuzzier. Like, who... Are you truly being good? And that's, like, a huge discussion on its own, which I might leave until entirely later. Cause,
1: Cause I don't know if we want to define good person today. That one might take a while. <laughs>
0: well, and that's... But that's where it gets fascinating to me, because if you... If you throw out the idea of status... So so here's the real crux of it. Um, My experience is that people will have a conversation where um, status is vilified, so because they're using the keep up with the Joneses or something similar, or maybe gender roles and how it's like fucking us all up. Uh, And then they will pivot and talk about the power of personal responsibility, keeping your word... And all this other stuff, which is very, like, uh, important language in a lot of, like, personal growth communities. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Except all responsibility is, is being a model citizen that upholds the social contract.
2: Right.
0: Like, responsibility can be rephrased as, you play your role exactly as expected or better. (laughs) right like if you're a man then then you'll like do all these things and have this like responsibility to you know protecting people and being
3: um what's the word i'm looking for being trustworthy
0: and being like all of this stuff just as a good human even not as a man just as a good human
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so it's like but that's that's status though like like, like you're talking about when when you um, when you romanticize the past about how amazing our grandfathers and grandmothers and great parents were because they you know lived off the land and mm-hmm. um, they were they were true um, you know they had solid families with solid values and all this stuff you're you're, you're amplifying status and like good role work. <laughs> Um, which is cool, and I'm totally fine with it, except if you're vilifying status because then you've, like, lost your entire house of cards, and I, like, don't... I don't understand how you could have, like, a further discussion with it.
1: Got it. So you're watching people consistently use status to try to attack status?
0: Yeah, or use status to build up status, like, and do both, and it's, like, this dichotomy that doesn't really need to exist because... Uh there are good parts of you know us having clean water and electricity and stuff that came directly from having some stability and predictability in how people act within a civilization. Mm -hmm. Uh and there's some stuff that we want to change, or there's some negative ways of um dealing with power or abundance or thinking about scarcity. Like there's all that stuff, and we have words for that. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like we can go have those discussions so like um so backing up so um there's ascribed status so mm-hmm. your gender uh traditionally would fall into that uh or like motherhood or fatherhood or like an employee mm-hmm. like any title in your life you can think of is like an ascribed societal thing um but then you have achieved status so if you work your ass off and you become a surgeon there's certain things about that that suddenly like flow into your social resume. Uh, Like you're probably rich and really smart Mm -hmm. and like all this stuff. Um, So, but where it gets interesting from a sociological perspective is that you never do anything at once, really. Like you do a blend of things. And I think that's where like sociologists actually have a lot of their fun and they probably think we're all super boring because we never think of it in more complex terms. So the, the example I read right before this podcast, which I think is great, is like, um, and because everyone's had this cover this situation. So you're you and you're talking to both um like your mom or your grandma and like your little cousin at the same time. So to your cousin, you're an uncle, mm-hmm. and but to your grandma, you're like you're the granddaughter grandson
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um and but you're having a conversation like loosely at the same time and they're like hey Kimberly come play with me it's awesome except you're trying to have like this relatively serious conversation at this family where you did with your grandma about the old times and you're like okay we'll do like you're You're semi-condescending or you're like doing whatever you're doing uh and you're like hey let's just sit here and wait but then you're like anyway grandma go on like this Mm -hmm. is really this is really interesting the old times wow Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're acting in two roles at once and changing them pretty much instantaneously because you don't accidentally usually turn to your cousin and be like, like have this like total overarching, um, like esteem for their wisdom or whatever you would do uh, to like your great grandmother or something. Um, And so there's this interplay where you're always juggling roles Mm -hmm, Uh, it's why people talk about like it's why the concept of work-life balance exists at all because there's a certain way you act around your colleagues and there's a certain way you act around your family and most people can't do both the the idea of being yourself in every place is like a concept and not a given
1: right do you think it's possible
0: yeah i ascribe to try it and do it have to try it (laughs) uh i like to say i do it i'll put it Mm -hmm. that way uh, I believe I still. I think I swear more around my colleagues than I do around my mother. Mm-hmm. Even though we have like a pretty friendly, like friend meaning friend, not mm-hmm. like we have a very loving relationship, and and also in this, your in, in, in this stage of my life, we're treating each other like friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do swear on her, but not quite as much. Specifically, I've go to family reunion. My verbiage changes to a decent amount, um, and so. I, I doubt I am the exact same person in every place. But early on, I learned that I, I lose something of myself when I try to put on a whole bunch of different masks. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of gave up on the whole charade and I'm basically just me. Um, which makes me really intense in the workplace because I'm exactly like this. Uh, <laughs> I'm, you know, telling jokes and telling stories and we're in an open office and it's a disaster. Because I'm getting people laughing and being loud. It I'm, sounds so- horrible. I know. That's I good. am not a model employee. <laughs> I, I do not, I do not wear that, uh, status and or rule well. Um, so, yeah. So to me, the whole thing is really fascinating because I like when people realize, what am I trying to say?
3: I'll do it the other way around. Uh,
0: I feel like there's always work to be done in a conversation. Uh, when someone only has like a, a vilified perspective on a thing, like, uh, like working a job or, um, like being chivalrous or, or something. I I like the nuance in how like part of this is good and upholds a certain value and Mm -hmm. part of it can be like, um, reinforcing things that can be like really dangerous like in the workplace like because it's our new um like it's uh getting money is like the new way that we're in like a tribe and survive your boss doesn't have to treat you like a human like very well uh (laughs) like not really and yeah blah blah blah, you can go get a new Mm -hmm. job yada yada but there's lots of people that don't necessarily feel it because they're trying to like support a family and the downtime would be rough
2: Mm -hmm. um
0: So, but there's also something positive about accruing skill and achieving things and building things and creating like this, like us recording this. Um, and so I I don't like the, I don't like when that's lost. Uh, and then, and then things are just like bad, like status is just bad, even though we've all agreed to at least follow some part of a social contract. and yeah, so I wanted to chat about it. I think that's my, I think that's <laughs> as far as my preamble can go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the soapbox is, uh, you stepping down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you think of um, a way that listeners could do a thought experiment with this idea and learn something about themselves and with people around them?
0: So with okay so i'll go back to the very very beginning before we recorded of you being like why status this is such a huge topic how the hell is it um and so there's part of me that
3: thinks that it gets pretty uh
0: not silly what's the word i want i'm gonna need to think on that word more That whenever I think of like exercises for people, it elicits some thought and emotion that I can't quite articulate about not wanting to treat them like children or be Mm -hmm. condescending or create something that's so like mundane Mm -hmm. that they've read it or heard it five thousand times. That's like a reasonable, unreasonable. That is a fear of mine. Is that like I, I think that comes from like wanting to describe and engage with concepts is like this subtle fear of repeating what a hundred thousand people have already said before. And not because I want to be special, but because for me personally, there must have been something in those, you know, five books I read about a thing that didn't quite sit in a way. So I wanted to talk about it too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a weird feeling. I might be actually grappling with that feeling like the this entire podcast. <laughs> is this idea of like why add another voice to talk about yeah it's fascinating to me cuz it's uh i was reading a this is a tangent but it's going to come back around i was reading a giant book list uh trying to think of like some new books for me to read and he actually got to and he reads like a book a week or something and he's reasonably well respected in the business world and i got to a book and he was like I don't know why this book is so popular. It just repeats most of the stuff about time management that have been said in the last seven years. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, skip it. But it was basically his like sentence thing, and I'm like, yeah, but humans do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like we just like resynthesize and resynthesize and resynthesize, and maybe that's an unfounded fear because even if there's one sentence that we have together that adds value to a discussion. Mm -hmm. then we did like a good, like like we, we added something. Right. Um, and I guess even if there isn't one unique sentence, then this is just a stepping stone for us to build a better voice. Right. So maybe it's all good.
1: (laughs) There's any, um, I struggled with this a lot when I was going to art school that I couldn't create anything that there wasn't already something out there that was similar. And um, when I started coaching, I had a real hard time with this. And one of my fellow coaches recommended I read the book, Steal Like an Artist. Okay. It's just like coming to terms with the fact that you are standing on the shoulders of giants and they were standing on the shoulders of giants. And so were they, and so were they, and we're just, we just keep building almost like humanity is one giant organism. And we just keep building. We keep adding a voice and going, Oh yeah, that's interesting. We just keep, yeah. defining, like you said, and so dropping that pressure to be original, like nothing that I say is original ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> but I can, I can own my synthesis of all the voices that have fed into who I am and what I believe now. So right. hopefully this does the same for people. Like, of course, they've heard some of these concepts before by somebody else who's probably way smarter, more educated than yeah. me. But for some people will be the voice that makes the most sense. And so that's the value, to just do it, to put it out there, to put value into the world. And for somebody, it will be exactly what they needed, whether, whether I'm original or not. <laughs> well, that was a huge amount of pressure. I have to be original. <laughs> what? Wait, no one's been original, like, ever. Oh, okay.
3: <laughs> I can do this. Well, yeah. and there it, it,
0: There is a weird amount of responsibility... So like, um, so a role within society is like a creator of things mm-hmm. like we're creating a podcast yes. and, and there are certain expectations around it of like having a certain level of something. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it's,
1: maybe you need to figure out what the something is.
0: <laughs> well, and it's like too, I think it's very nebulous. Cause I was going to say like a certain level of professionalism, a certain level of whatever that it's like, I don't think so.
1: I don't think that's you'd true. be with me if it was professionalism that you were learning. No, what?
0: You're more professional than me. That's total nonsense. Ah,
1: nonsense, I tell you.
0: Listener, that's false humility. Note that. Uh, I th- well, and then, like, but people love, like, shitty to VHS B-movies and, like, all this nonsense. So it's not... I think it comes back to that I firmly believe, like, everything always has an audience.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, but... Uh, So there's that, and then so to go back to the book thing, when I was, but when I when I read his little one sentence review, whatever, Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, except that, what if that's the first book on that someone's read? Because it was actually the first book I read on it.
1: Uh, what if it's the Cliff Notes version for people who are just entering this space after seven years of everything? Right.
0: So, So then I'm just like, I don't know. I learned a lot. I thought it was really good because it covered all these topics that I wasn't aware of which is interesting because you can always be really condescending with that I'd be like well if you had read the original publishing in 1980 by the dude who actually invented the concept maybe you would get a more pure idea of it I mean you're just learning this derivative whatever it's like yeah
1: that seems very small-minded like
0: sure <laughs> every but then it goes back to like everything's a derivative of everything so I'm not convinced I'm but not wholly convinced. didn't
1: happened in 1980 either yeah so how far are you going to dig back before you can say that anything has any value ever?
0: Well, and I'm a first principle student. So this is like an interesting position for me to take <laughs> because I do actually go decently back to be like, huh, mm-hmm. uh, that said, now in the shoes of someone who's trying to synthesize
2: mm-hmm.
0: some thoughts, I'm more just like, eh, like go back. If, if you get fired up by a thing, then read actual things on it or mm-hmm. read actual books on it um and yeah it's interesting so to go back to the idea of like do you think our listeners could do anything about that of course there's always like a billion things with everything we talk about because currently i'm i'm getting a lot of joy out of talking about like mundane to me high level concepts Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's another reason why i want to talk about status because i like i could talk about some seriously complicated bullshit yeah
1: i can tell you spent a lot of time in this space mentally yeah contemplating status
0: Whereas, like, sometimes it's the more nebulous, abstract things that I want to get some practice around articulating. Even if I screwed up this entire episode. Uh, to, like, the level of polish that I would want it from me spewing words from my mouth.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Season it... two. Season two will be more. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, it doesn't overly, like, um, I don't think it diminishes the attempt because I'm I'm able to like try to attack these abstract things and then find out in living color, like where the challenge is for me. Mm-hmm. Cause I think I find it easier to talk about complex things. Cause I can sound really smart and I can talk about nuanced mm-hmm. details and no one can prove me wrong. Cause I'm probably like deep down there. So there's only like three other people that care. <laughs> so, um, but when you talk about something that's really, uh, cause this wraps it back around. Like when you talk about something that is uh, that everyone intrinsically feels in some mm-hmm. way, and they've had someone in their life or a hundred people or a thousand people in their life talk about it, then all of a sudden you're adding your voice to this like really big choir, and so you get to a point where you're like, how do you dip your toes into application of something that someone's heard a hundred thousand times or a thousand times or a hundred times or twelve times from their grandparents? <laughs> uh, and are already like tone deaf to it. Or or maybe it's like oversaturated. Um because the easy answer would be like, think about what roles you know, you play in your life and which ones you don't like but you do anyway, because the like the gain of blending and like it goes it-
1: back to integration. Like you can start seeing all those as individual pieces of you and you start pulling the pieces you like and cobble together with the person you can always be
0: yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> so you definitely could do that i could well that's what like, comes
1: to mind when you talk about it I,
0: I i think most people yeah exactly because that will be this is where the conversation this is why this conversation needs to happen more is that i am a strong proponent of integration and. I feel that some voices I hear within my generation are, and this is coming from an iconoclast. So that's crazy. This is coming from a person who likes to destroy beliefs. Let me rephrase. Um, But being a stronger like proponent of integration, I feel that I hear some voices sometimes that want to throw away everything and like build a new world, like gender norms in general are fucking bullshit. Mm. So we should, Disband the entire concept and come up with
1: new words. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and then we should like rebuild it. Um, we should rebuild a complicated system or a more complex system on top of like potentially nothing. Mm-hmm. Because if you villainize something enough, you can build a case to destroy it. Right. Um, but there must have been value there because humans have been around for long enough that some of that has been refined. Some of it's still trash, but a lot of it like worked. because of it works now. I don't even care if it works now. It worked. Duh. <laughs> it so, worked so, so like the idea of instead of integrating the good parts of it and playing them forward, you would want to destroy the entire social hierarchy. Um I I have a lot of respect for people that are attempting to be like moderate, like centrist voices because mm-hmm. i think the, the i think the integrated path is a more challenging one than building walled gardens on either side. Okay. um and so if if you wanted to practice the idea of thinking about status and roles uh i would actually come at it from a place of i would attempt to the best of your ability to come at it from a place of like love and appreciation um so instead of thinking like what parts of my life are bullshit because the man said I need to be <laughs> like this thing instead uh-huh. be like um like what were things that your grandmother did that stand out to you as being like absolutely amazing that you really look up to mm-hmm. what are things that you always loved about the way that your mom treated you or what's the way that like what's your fondest memory of your father um and appreciate that he is both being himself and representing something within your culture. And that that doesn't make them a bad person.
1: No, well, you can't really. No one lives in a vacuum. We're all representing things from our cultures, whether we believe it or not.
0: Right. So I think that would be my attempted takeaway okay. it is to look at things and try to have a deeper, more compassionate understanding of the influences and both the positive and the negative that came out of them mm-hmm. um, even if you want to tear them all down later because at least then you may have a little bit more um restraint in in just how like much you crush everything and
1: mm-hmm. instead
0: you can actually like build something
1: <laughs> instead sort of just throwing bricks actually be curious first yeah. Just see more of the picture first. Then you'll actually be successful in possibly rebuilding something with keeping.
0: Exactly. Okay. That Which works. is, I don't know, that's probably a mandate of my life, actually. But that, that might be a little bit too personal. <laughs> um,
1: all roads seem to lead to Rome with you. <laughs> yes. What <laughs> a selfish <laughs> No, we're all that way. We're all that way. 100%. Well, good stuff. Thanks for playing that out for me so I could see what you are talking about. Yeah. I will be doing that with my mind for the next week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Uh, I will uh, maybe
3: see. Man, I don't know.
0: I'm going to need to think on. I think I'm strange. I think I blend all over the place. So I'll have to see what actual roles <laughs> I uphold. Mm-hmm. I am a naturally destructive idealist. So it might actually be a good time for me to reflect on the things that I've torn down without thought,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, to, like to to attack that question from the opposite side, which is like, what have I already turned into rebel because it's stupid? And where were the merits that I, if I was more mature when I, or more curious when I originally laid eyes on it, what would I have seen? Uh, so okay. that's, that's probably more a personal thing. Yeah. The there might be, there might be iconoclasts out there. Maybe. Maybe. Uh I can be a vo- I can be a compassionate centered voice
2: for you in the future.
0: Actually, <laughs> I've 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 been walking that road, so I could see a lot of my life kind of manifesting in that way. Uh but maybe a conversation for a different day.
1: A different day. This was a good conversation.
0: Yeah. I I stuck to one topic.
1: You did. Well we we went off the rails a little bit to explain uh
0: Oh yeah, we did. No, but it's fine. I think that if we do, I think if we do like a definition or some like bantery ramble at the beginning, Mm -hmm. and then and then we talk about a thing that either one of us tried to tee up in the middle,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, then I think that's a fine format. Perfect. Yeah.
1: And we will see you all next week.
0: Yeah, see you next week. (laughs) And this time, I'm going to upload it before Monday morning.
1: Good plan. Yay! (laughs) Bye Bye bye.